Well, Hebrews chapter 1 seems an interesting place to go for a Christmas sermon, and I hope that it is interesting and profitable for us, and I hope that you will see it in the light of Christmas. Let me read for us Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of God this morning. Let me ask you a question. It's a relevant question. What are we Christians celebrating at Christmas? What are we Christians celebrating at Christmas? And I'm just going to go ahead and get to the heart of it. We are celebrating the fact, the reality, the historical truth that God came down. That's what we're celebrating. He came down to speak and to be heard. If you'd like to follow along with the sermon outline in your bulletin, you'll see the theme is this. At Christmas, God spoke to us in Jesus, his purifying word. So let us hear his glory and majesty and worship Jesus, the king. I want to make three brief points this morning. One, Jesus is God's son. Two, Jesus is God's Christ. And three, Jesus is God's king. These biblical truths should shape our Christian celebration of Christmas. Jesus is God's Son. And and so how is it then that God's Son came down? Well, he came down at Christmas, according to the plan of God, as recorded in Luke chapter 1. Turn to Luke chapter 1 with me, if you would, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. All the triune God acted for God the Son to come down to earth to be a man, to be heard as the living word of God. Here's Paul writing about the Christmas story in Philippians chapter 2. It's another 
Another passage we probably don't normally think of as Christmas. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. That's how God's Son came down. And this Son is the living Word. In the opening of John's Gospel, John calls Jesus the Word. If you want to turn to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And... Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, when God spoke words of creation, those words were Jesus. According to John and according to the author of Hebrews, both. As the word of God, Jesus is the power of God to bring light out of darkness, peace out of chaos, and life out of death. It's a pretty spectacular thing to say that he is the one who came down at Christmas. Another way to say it, although it sounds a little less spectacular, is to say that as the word of God, in whom God is speaking to us, Jesus is the prophet of God. Prophet and word of God spoke and go together. That logically follows. That biblically follows. If Jesus is the word of God, then he is the prophet of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses prophesied saying, Lord, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It is him you shall listen. Now, Moses was no slouch as a prophet himself. The Bible says that Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Hebrews chapter 3. Peter calls Jesus this same great prophet that Moses was talking about when he preaches to the crowd in Jerusalem. Turn to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, Peter is preaching. He says, And Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets. And of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus, Peter says, is the prophet like Moses, who leads his people from life to death. That's what Moses did. He led his people from death in Egypt to life. And Jesus does the same thing. How? Well, notice that Peter's preaching 
about the resurrected Christ, right? This is, this is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his appearing. And he says that Jesus is the prophet of God through whom God is speaking. So fear him and hear him. Listen to the word of God and repent from your wickedness and turn to this resurrected Jesus who will take you from death to life in himself. Jesus is the word of reconciliation that God promised in earlier days and has brought about now in these days. What we are celebrating at Christmas is that God came down. That God is speaking to us in his Son, Jesus, the creator and heir of all things. At Christmas, God is speaking words of reconciliation to sinners. And Jesus, his son and prophet, is that word of reconciliation. We would say, he's the gospel. And Jesus, the son of God, will be the proper heir of our gospel-reconciled souls. So to that end, the author of Hebrew writes in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the very fullness of God. When Jesus the Son came down at Christmas, we didn't get something less than God the Father. We didn't hear lesser words than the Father himself would have spoken. No, Jesus is the very fullness of God come down to us. Jesus the author says, is the radiance of the very glory of God. Remember John's words. And Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we can distinguish that the Father has glory and that the Son has glory, but we don't separate them because the Father is glorified by the Son and the Son is glorified by the Father. So when Christ came down at Christmas, the very glory of God came down. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very nature. We would say, like father, like son. Remember again John's word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ is eternal. In the beginning was the word, and Christ is deity, and that word was God, John says. We declare this together when we recite the Nicene Creed. When we say, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. 
He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Or to say it more succinctly, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So Jesus is the glory of God, and Jesus is the nature of God. And the third thing is that Jesus is the very power of God who upholds the universe. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, that means the preeminent one, the one who comes before all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God, and he is the universe upholding power of God. That's who we're dealing with at Christmas. We're not dealing with swaddling baby in a manger here. When God chose to speak to us in the last days by his son, the word who came down brought with him the glory and the deity and the power of God. That's who we're dealing with at Christmas. What came down at Christmas is the glory and the deity and the power of God in God's own voice, his word, his son, Jesus, his Christ. And the author of Hebrews says that this Jesus made purification for sins. He is our great high priest. Look at verse 3 again. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sins. Let me ask you, who is it that administers sacrifices for purification? It's the priest. It's the temple priest, right? At that first Christmas, imagine back just a little bit, thousands of men had already served as temple priests, as mediators between holy God and sinful man. What makes Jesus a better priest? The author of Hebrews says in chapter 7, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he... Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. God sent his priest at Christmas, the only true and eternal mediator between God and man. Because Jesus is God, he shares God's eternal nature. This makes Jesus our great high priest, the eternal mediator between God and man, who will never go away, who will never desert his post, who will always live to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. But what's his sacrifice? If Jesus is our great high priest, what is his sacrifice? The author of Hebrews goes on to say rightly, 
for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this high priest, Jesus, also to have something to offer. Wait. Are we still talking about Christmas? Hang on, Scott. Are we still talking about Christmas? Yes. God does not speak empty words. When God spoke to us in these last days, God spoke salvation in Jesus Christ. How do we know that's what Christmas is all about? Charlie Brown? Because in Matthew chapter 1, the angel told Joseph ahead of time the plan of God. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. But what sacrifice will Jesus, our great high priest, make to save his people from their sins? The answer is that it will take Jesus, the word of God, to keep the promise of God. Hebrews chapter 9 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctifying for purification for the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Our sins, yours and mine, are such that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of our sins. No purification for our souls. No reconciliation with God. Knowing that, at Christmas, God spoke to us by his Son to tell us that Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. And that he's yours if you would believe in him. What are you waiting for? There's a question that we sometimes ask in jest, usually at a red light when the light turns green and the car in front of us doesn't go right away. And we'll say, what are you waiting for? Christmas? Christmas is more than just a holiday with friends and family, with trees and lights and gifts and presents. My friends, God's Christmas is an invitation. It's an invitation. God came down to speak to you this morning. Won't you hear him? He's speaking to you in glory and in power. He's inviting you to turn to know him by his son, to set aside your love of self and your love for the things of this fallen world. He's inviting you to follow his son, the creator and heir of all things, the one who will save you from your sin and purify your soul. 
This is his plan. And if you've been waiting for Christmas to take him seriously, Christmas is here. Jesus is here. Today is the day of salvation to all who will turn to him. What more could you wish for? He has sent his word by his true prophet. He has sent his Christ to be your great high priest. He has sent his son to be the once for all sacrifice for your sins. This is what Christmas is. God came down for you. Don't wait for another Christmas. Hear him. Believe him. Turn to him. Run to him. Because he who has the Son has life now in this world. Draw near to the throne of God and find mercy and grace. The world offers no such gifts. Not at all. But the God of Christmas is offering them to you right now. And this Jesus, the Son, Word, and Prophet of God, this Jesus Christ, the priest, sacrifice, and Savior of God, this Jesus who came down at Christmas, he's not going away. Because he's also God's eternal king. Look again at the end of verse 3 in Hebrews chapter 1. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Sometimes, perhaps especially at Christmas, people get caught up in the veneration of angels. They are impressive. Angels are powerful and impressive beings. So the author of Hebrews goes on to tell why Jesus is greater than the angels. Angels are created beings, but Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Angels are servants of God, but Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus inherits things that angels do not, one of which is David's throne, because Jesus is God's king. It is, by the way, another very practical reason for repenting and turning to Jesus. Because he is and will be the king forever. This isn't new news. It's Christmas news. Look at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 28 again. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus rules and reigns over his kingdom. And his kingdom was inaugurated at Christmas. And it will be consummated when he comes again at his second advent. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a covenant promise to King David, saying, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you 
who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus was born in the natural line of David and in the kingly line of David. It is by the reign and rule of King Jesus that God's promises of land, offspring, and worldwide blessing will be realized forever. Are you tracking with the word God spoke at Christmas this morning? Jesus, God's true word, remains forever. Jesus, God's purification for our sins, lasts forever. Jesus, God's king, will rule forever. And the birth of this king did not go unnoticed. Luke records the celebration of King Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. You see, the angels were there to worship King Jesus when he arose. What about the shepherds? We'll pick up in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Yes, the shepherds run to bow down before the newborn king. The highest of angels and the lowliest of shepherds worshipped the king, glorifying and praising God. For what? For the word whom they had heard and seen. What do Christians celebrate at Christmas? God came down. You know, don't you, that Jesus is the Omega and the Alpha? You say, well, Scott, I think we usually, say those, we usually say those the other way around, don't we? The Alpha and the Omega. But the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the Son whom God appointed heir of all things. That's the Omega. And who by his power created all things. That's the Alpha. 
So Jesus is the omega and the alpha, the heir and the creator. If Jesus came down at Christmas and he is the alpha and omega, the first and the last, then doesn't it make total sense that Christmas is actually all about him and not at all about us? Doesn't it make sense? Christmas is about Jesus first and last. Our part is to be the happy hearers of God's gospel word spoken in his son. Our part is to be the happy recipients of the purification of our sins. Our part is to be the happy worshipers of his majesty and his glory. Oh no, here comes the annual Christmas guilt trip from the pulpit. No, I'm not going to demand that you tear down your Christmas lights, throw out your Christmas tree, and return all your Christmas gifts. You probably didn't save all the receipts anyway. But let's, let's do this. Let's follow John the Baptist's idea in our own Christmas celebration. The Bible tells us that because John's joy was complete, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Because John's joy was complete in Christ, he said, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. Let's apply that this Christmas. Do you get it? Jesus is the way to joy. Jesus increase. Me, decrease. That's why God has spoken his word. So let me encourage you to do this immediately. Let's leave this worship gathering this morning and lean a little more in Jesus' direction this Christmas. Let's make him, let's make him the target of our celebration. Give yourself a Christmas present this year. Read the Word of God just a little bit more as Christmas approaches. Listen a little more attentively as God speaks to you through His Word as you read it. Look at what length God has been willing to go for you to hear Him. Not just to promise salvation through his son, but to accomplish salvation through his son and to give it to you who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and for the purification of your souls. What we as Christians celebrate at Christmas is that God came down. He came down to earth in the person of his son, the living word of God to speak salvation to his people in these last days. That in his word we would hear the glory and the deity and the power of God to save sinners and to purify souls for eternity. And that we would bow to his majesty and worship Jesus as king. In these last days, in this very morning, God is speaking to us through his word. Do not wait for another Christmas to receive Jesus, God's purifying Christmas word.
And don't wait for another Christmas to worship Jesus as your eternal king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what do we have that we have not received? Good things from your hand. Thank you for Jesus, the word of God made flesh, that we might see and hear God and turn to him and be saved. We pray that for every person here. In Christ's name, amen.